the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and insightful analysis than The Athletic. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad free content. For access to all of this and plenty more, visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C, and get 40% off your first year subscription today. We are also provided by Balanced Bridge Funding, offering cost friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balanced Bridge has the professionals you need to customize a payment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely, avoid broker fees, and there's no penalty when you pay it back early. Whether your client is currently under contract and needs a bridge against upcoming guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or looking to borrow money for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be the resource for you today. Visit balancedbridge.com. Happy Monday. My name is Mike Gennetti. A little bit of a late start on this pod as we kind of collected our thoughts from a what's been a weird sports three, four days here with the COVID situation, with a lot of movement, a lot of postponements. It's fantasy playoffs for many of us in football. And oh, by the way, it's Christmas week. So any, anyone with families is uh, feeling the pain right now for the most part. Here we are. It's an NFL slash NBA day for us on this show. I'm going to start off with a quick open that kind of runs through um, some off-season stuff. That's the mode I'm in, which is weird, right? Because I'm watching week 15 of the NFL. I'm watching not even halfway through an NBA season as that ramps up towards Christmas. And from a work standpoint, I sit down and I sit into a Google Doc and I'm really starting to rummage through these NFL teams in terms of 2022. Projected cap space, upcoming free agents, extension candidates, trade candidates, all that fun stuff. Cap casualties. You know how this works uh, for the past 15 years or so with Track, but that's the mode I'm in. So I want to sort of reflect on some of that this morning in the open with you know, the, the fantasy positions. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find one player who's an upcoming free agent of note, one player who's an extension candidate of note, and one player who could be a trade candidate of note at those positions. And I think I'll come back next week or maybe Wednesday with a defensive look at this. So, you know, defensive positions of power, free agent, extension candidate, possible trade candidate, one per position. And we'll uh, we'll kind of limp into this offseason together. And then I'm going to have a big report coming soon, team by team, with all of these candidates, with some cap casualty candidates, some financials, uh, what kind of what kind of you know health they're going to be in heading towards February when those franchise tags and things like that are uh, locked in and plenty of decisions have to be made. So like I said, a bit of a precursor to what could be coming with the offseason. And by the way, you know, <laughs> If you haven't started to look at that stuff yet, you know we're going to be in for another quarterback carousel. There's been plenty of discussion about that. The running back list is probably better than it's been the past five years because of some really renaissance careers. And the wide receiver list is as good this year as it was last year when it was a great year. So it could be it could be better because the best wide receiver in football is on this list, which we'll get to in a minute. But the... It, it, I'll be very interested to see how this translates towards franchise tags, how this translates towards in-house extensions, or if the players, and there's some players of note here, basically say, look, I've taken deals. I've, I've taken my smaller deals. I need to cash in. And if I'm on a team, whether they're winning or not, I have to go find my money this year. And that's very possible. One other thing, 
and I'll, I'll be saying this a lot over the next few months, but I'll say it now first. It's very well known in the industry that the 2023 salary cap could explode. I don't believe it should. I think it sh- they should go back to their plus 10 per year, regardless of how the revenue looks from TV and all that. I think from a cap perspective, you should stay, con- stay consistent, stay on budget, increase about 10 million per year and let things percolate from there. But we've seen this in many of these other sports when there's a, a balloon like, like this TV money is going to offer. It's possible that we go from 208.2 in 2022 upwards of 230 in 2023. And a lot of agents have that in their heads right now. So when we're talking about this great list of wide receivers and, and decent list of running backs, it's very possible that A, they will accept the franchise tag this year because it's a high paid guaranteed salary, or they'll take a one-year deal with an option in year two or an out in year two, a heavy one-year deal with void years so that they can make some bank and, and then get out back out to free agency. The point is, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at 2023 as a year they want to be available or extension eligible or things like that. So it's uh, something to keep in mind as we look at this list and talk about these names. But also there could be that that brick wall sort of sitting there where a lot of agents are saying, look, we got to keep ourselves open and available for what could be sitting there in 18 months. Okay, quarterbacks. I did a whole piece last week on this show, breaking down every team's quarterback situation. Um, and that hasn't changed too much. You know, the stability of Matt Stafford is going to go up or down every week. That's just kind of the guy he is. Baker Mayfield's COVID situation hasn't really moved the needle, obviously. I think Tua, as I mentioned, has further solidified himself for that role in 2022. And outside of that, there's just a lot of question marks. Nine to 12 legitimate question mark teams right now in the NFL for 2022 quarterbacks. So pending free agents. Statistically speaking... Ben Roethlisberger is going to be the biggest one available. My assumption is that he's not going to be available. I think he just says, this is it. I'm done. I don't want to play for another franchise. I want to be one and done with Pittsburgh. And I think it's the right time for him to walk away. He is holding his own. He has had a very, very good middle of the season. And if he can kind of stay on this path and some of those defensive players can stay healthy, this is a team that can win that freaking division based on what we saw from Baltimore yesterday and Cincinnati yesterday. So it, we can't just write Ben off. He's, he's throwing for 300 yards. He's been much more efficient and he's got wide receivers who can play ball right now. So uh, it's not a complete disaster of a situation. With that said, I don't think this should translate into 2022. So he's off the list, which means there's a couple of names out there. One who've, who's had significant starting experience, Jameis Winston. And then the other would be Mitchell Trubisky, who's currently the backup for Josh Allen in Buffalo. And I do believe could find himself a starting gig in 2022 with the right situation. The problem is I'm not even sure I can find Jameis Winston a starting job. And before his injury this year, 15 touchdowns, three picks, big arm likes to open up and spread in terms of offense. There's a lot of coaches and a lot of offensive coordinators that I think would love to have a shot with this guy and see how it can go for a year. And that might be exactly what he's looking for. So if he played on 5 million this year around that number, you know, with incentives that could have grown much, much more. Does somebody just run that back? And maybe it's the Saints. You know, maybe the next four weeks that Taysom Hill says, all right, this is not the guy we want to give the keys to in 2022. And if the Russell Wilson acquisition doesn't happen, like many of us think it might, then Jameis very well could be plan C and a good plan C for them, you know, an adequate plan C for them. So 
I think for all those reasons, Jameis has to be the best available option. Cam's out there. You know, there's a couple of other, uh, I think, career backups who will get signed to their vet minimums to come back to a team. But this is it in terms of legitimate starting possibility. Trubisky has a slight chance. Jameis has a, a decent chance. Bridgewater's maybe a tick below Winston right now, and his injury, unfortunately, is going to be a problem for that. But that's it in terms of just just quarterbacks who are flat out going to be available on the open market. Uh, I saw I, I rank Jameis slightly higher at the top of that list, and I do think that there's a there's an incentive laden contract, whether it's with New Orleans, maybe the Giants, one of these teams that have weapons that just want to see if this guy and his big arm can go out there and make make the dots connect. All right, extension worthy. There's a few. You know, we've talked about Baker and Lamar at length. I've left them off this list for a few reasons. A, we've we've talked about it to death. B, I don't think Baker's extension's coming. And C, we we love to overreact in this league. Tyler Huntley had a pretty goddamn good game. You know, game and a half now it's been. So, um, I'm not saying Tyler Huntley's going to you know supplant Lamar Jackson as the QB one for Baltimore, but that style of play. It just seems to work right now. So fine. I think Lamar is going to get paid. Just assume that happens. I want to talk about Kyler Murray, who's 24 years old. The last year and a half has really made himself into the legitimate MVP conversation, made himself into the clear franchise leader of the Arizona Cardinals. And while Arizona is sliding right now, and I believe that's coaching, by the way, in large part, I think this guy's for real. And I think they know this guy's for real. And I think most of the league sees this guy as being for real. He becomes extension eligible for the first time after 2021. So just in about a couple of weeks or so. His valuation is $43 million and change right now in spot track. No joke. This is the real deal. This is going to be a Josh Allen type contract. This is a cap adjusted version of Deshaun Watson if you want to look at it that way. This is a real deal extension coming. And I think they should do it right now. Right now. They have the wide receivers. You know, whether, whether they keep Christian Kirk is really moot because they have Rondell Moore and a couple of other options they can slot in. They can address their tight end situation as needed on the cheap, or they can bring back Ertz if there's a good connection there. The defense has some tinkering to work with, no question about it. But from a cap perspective, you can lock him in now, keep the 2022 cap low, as we've seen so many times on extensions, and then build in a nice, big, juicy cap hit for 2023 when, as I mentioned, a lot of these teams are budgeting for a massive cap increase. So doing it right now, to me, can work in your favor with the next five years of how the salary cap should lay out. And oh, by the way, you lock him in at 24, you guarantee him three and a half years. By 28, you know you can redo it and, and it'll be a massive 50 million plus contract at that point. Or you can let him walk at that point if, if things haven't gone the way you wanted them to. And you got really good prime years at good at, at a good number. So I lock him in as soon as possible if I'm Arizona. Now, they may have different plans. They may have four or five other miles they want to feed first. And I, I certainly am not going to get in the way of that. But it's not necessary. He's got a fourth year plus a fifth year option plus probably a franchise tag or two ahead of him if they if they need to go that route. I just think this one seems like a no-brainer. Lock it in. And the trade, of course, is Russell Wilson, who we've talked about a couple of times now. Um, here's the numbers again for you. If they trade him before June 1st, there's $26 million of dead cap to Seattle, which saves $11 million off their cap next year. 
There's a $5 million roster bonus due March 20th-ish. Um, that's going to impact this decision. Now, does he delay that in order to become a post-June 1st? I don't know. And I don't know the teams that want to take him on, right? And there's I have like 12 in front of me. Here's the teams. <laughs> and This is silly, but, you know, fun. Here's the teams that I've identified as could be Russell Wilson suitors. The Saints, the Giants, the Broncos, the Panthers, the Eagles, the Steelers, the Browns, the Texans, the Raiders, the Vikings, the Washington football team. And I'm, I'm sure I missed five more. But those teams immediately, in my opinion, are putting together a package for Wilson if this becomes a real thing. Now, would they want to, ha- would, would they want to trade him, acquire him June 2nd? Probably not. That's after the draft. That's after free agency. A lot of moving parts. You want to know you've got this guy here so that you can use that as negotiation piece for extending your current players, bringing in new blood, uh, how you're going to handle your draft in terms of positions. So while there, you know, there's a roster bonus early that you'd have to take on, you do it. Um, and if Seattle's not okay with taking on $26 million of dead cap to acquire a couple of first-round picks, I think that's a fair trade-off for everybody. So I expect this, if it's going to happen, to be an early trade, a la Matt Stafford move last year. You know, end of February, we start to hear the rumblings and then bang, as soon as this league year opens, the trade processes. I think that's where we're headed. And in terms of that new team, you're taking on a $24 million dead cap hit just to get him in the door. You have to acquire that. Then you restructure it. And like I said, with Kyler Murray, you give him a brand new five-year deal. You make the 2022 cap hit nice and low. You start to build some pieces around him. If you have to balloon a 2023 cap, you know, initially, and then you can restructure that as needed, you do it. But this is not a, we're, we're, we're bringing on $30 million plus of Russell Wilson right out of the gate. I mean, yes, he's going to cost you 40 million plus in that new contract, but you gain the, the cap flexibility. You gain the ability to, to build around him. Uh, to me, any of those teams I mentioned, it is 100% worth it. And I realize I said Cleveland and some of you are probably freaking out. What are they going to do with Baker? What happens with this guaranteed? Who cares? Who cares? If the quarterback position is the one position holding you back, change it, upgrade it. There's never been more opportunity to upgrade the quarterback position in this league than the last two to three years. And this is, you know, I don't know if it's going to change. I don't know if we're going to, if this revolving door is going to slow down or lock up, but this is the second year in a row where legitimate starting quarterbacks are at least being offered out there on the hot stove. And last year, Stafford did move last year. Carson Wentz did move. There's no reason to believe one of these guys that we've mentioned in the, in the last show won't this year as well. So that's the finances of moving Russell Wilson. To me, he's the big trade candidate this offseason. All right, moving along. Running back. The top free agent is Leonard Fournette. And to me, it's not even close. I realize Cordero Patterson deserves to be in this conversation because he is versatile, because he came out of nowhere. The problem is he's almost 31 years old, and I don't even know how to value that guy. Uh, because he was a, a a wide receiver three a minute and a half ago. And now he's this jack of all trades sort of situation. Leonard Fournette, we knew who he was three years ago. And now all of a sudden, he's catching 70 passes. I mean, he's a legitimate two-skill two, uh, two threat. Legitimate. And whether or not that's because Brady's system and, and the offense that Brady wants to run just makes it easier for him to do so. He still has the ability and the skills and the talent to make it happen and, and execute. So he has made himself into one hell of an option for this Tampa team. Now, does that translate if he goes to the Bears? I don't know. I don't know. You know, we, we've seen the good and the bad with him at Jacksonville. There's no question about that. And this is that situation I was talking about in the intro. Is this a guy who just played out $3 million and is going to be the probably the biggest weapon on this Tampa team, regardless of where they finish up? I mean, he is 
the breadwinner in terms of stats across the board right now. Does this guy say, look, I know you, you, you want to bring me back at four, you know, maybe give me a slight raise, but I got to go and get this. I'm 27. That's a number that a lot of teams look at as, as scary for running backs, especially with the mileage I've had in college and whatnot. But I'm riding high right now. And, you know, I'm, I've got him valued at two years, 12 million, maybe 9 million of that fully guaranteed. It's basically a cap adjusted Melvin Gordon contract when he went to Denver from the Chargers. So, you know, is that something Tampa can do? Maybe move on from Ronald Jones, move on from, from you know, Cameron Bray, one of those pieces, and, and identify some areas where you can free up some space for a guy like this who is clearly very, very important to you. I could see this one getting to the finish line. I could see him hitting the open market, a couple of teams coming in with a nice number, and Tampa Bay not being able to match that or not being willing to match that. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. This could be a a swan song run here for Tampa Bay and Fournette. It's been a good one, by the way. Really uh, resuscitated this career. Extension candidate. Speaking of which, James Conner has had just a phenomenal season. In a situation where there's a quarterback who can run, where there's four wide receivers who should be getting you know the ball consistently all over the field, this guy has just been filling in all the blanks. He's done everything they've asked him to do. Yes, he has an injury history. Yes, both he and Chase Edmonds are pending UFA, so there's some decisions to be made there. But I got him valued exactly with Fournette right now. Two years, $12 million. Him being 26 helps that. So where he's not as statistically productive, that being that year younger helps that. You know, does his injury history suppress some of those guaranteed dollars? Maybe. Maybe it's two for 12 or six million is fully guaranteed. Very possible. But this guy's a real deal. And I think if they have to choose, and, and they should choose, and they want to keep some of this band together in Arizona that has been, for a large part of the season, the best team in football, I think a small extension for James Conner makes sense. And trade candidates. Naheem Hines. One of the weirdest extensions of the offseason. It happened basically at week one. It was three years, 14 million. Excuse me, it was more than that. But there's three years, 14 million left. It was a three-year extension onto what was a one year existing on that contract. So it's not the biggest money in the world. There's only 3.3 million guaranteed remaining on this contract. But this guy's barely touching the field. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had 70 plus receptions out of the backfield for a bunch of years in a row. And now all of a sudden, Jonathan Taylor is the entire offense. And it's hard, it's hard to, to discount them for this. They have a guy who, in, in very Derrick Henry fashion, is so good and has separated himself so much that the offensive coordinator has to say, look, we have just, we've got to be smart about this, logical about this, all right? This guy's going to get 70% of our runs and our offensive looks. And you know when we have to be creative, when, when somebody is actually shutting him down, then we can use some of our other weapons. For me, having this guy sitting on the sidelines with a what-if mentality, right? We'll, we'll get you out there when we can get you out there. That's just not good enough. And from a financial perspective, it's just reckless. So find yourself a mid-round pick for this guy. Let somebody else take him on and you know go in the fourth round and find somebody, a, a wide receiver who can catch the ball or bring in a, you know, a vet minimum Matt Breeder or something like that that you can attach to this roster to sit on the sideline. Maybe he's a special teamer as well. So you get some, some bang for buck out of him. But this guy to me is just too talented in a specific set to be sitting on the sideline watching Jonathan Taylor run the football. So I, I think he hits the trade block, somebody bites, and uh, everybody's better for it at the end of the day. 
Wide receivers, man, like I said, it was a good list. I, I, I'm not even mentioning Mike Williams. I'm not even mentioning Allen Robinson. There's a couple more out there that should hit this list, and we'll have a, a wide receiver show at some point here. But the, the free agent I, I've identified is Chris Godwin. And the reason I have is a second franchise tag for him is going to be over $19 million, $19.2 million. So that's probably not a cap hit the Tampa Bay Buccaneers want to take on even for a month, even just for March, you know, as they try to work out a deal. So to me, it's going to be either, either they come, they come together with a multi-year extension, basically right out of the gate or even, you know, prior to, or this guy hits the open market. And I can't imagine this happens. I just can't imagine this happens. And he's valued at over 18 million a year. That's probably too low. He's had some up and downs, some injuries that keep that number at bay. We know right now anybody worth a damn as a WR1 is going north of 20. And if you know, you're know you a team looking for a legitimate WR1 right now out there, you're going you're gonna to have to pay up, pay up much more than $18 million per year to bring him in. Do, do the Buccaneers say, look, this is where we value you. It's about $18 million per year. You know, you've made... 16 million on this past franchise tag. You made a good chunk of change with us. You are clearly Brady's go-to guy. We have no idea how long Tom Brady's going to be here for. Could be just one more year. Could be two. Could be three. But clearly the chemistry. I mean, he is the workhorse wide receiver for Tom Brady right now. 98 catches in 14 games, 1,100 yards, five touchdowns. He's the guy that's moving this ball down the field consistently for the Buccaneers through the passing game. You know, him, him and alongside Fournette are kind of the two guys right now. And then there's a lot of complimentary pieces, one of them being Mike Evans, who just happens to be one of the best receivers in football as well. And Gronkowski, maybe the greatest tight end in the history of football. I, I, I wonder if at the end of the day, Tampa Bay, Brady, the whole system has to sit down and say, it's one of two. It's an extension for Leonard Fournette or it's an extension for Chris Godwin. And if I had to bet... I think Godwin wins that battle. So while I do believe he goes to the open market and they do not franchise tag him a second time, I think it's possible that bad teams try to overpay. And at the end of the day, Godwin says, look, I can get my 18 from, from the Bucs. I can get, you know, 50 million guaranteed over the next two and a half years from the Buccaneers. That's where I want to be. I want to be linked up with Brady. I want to finish my, his career with me. There's a chance that, you know, the Tom Brady effect makes this work out, but I do believe he has the opportunity to go and value himself elsewhere. I don't think that should be the case with this next guy, the extension candidate, Devontae Adams. I know, I know the Rodgers stuff. I talked about it last week. I, I just can't imagine the Green Bay Packers without either of these two guys right now, Rodgers or Adams. I can't. So I'm not going to assume it. <laughs> All right. If everything Rodgers says is true, then yes, he's going to get traded. And if that's the case, then the only thing saving Devontae Adams from Green Bay is a franchise tag, which I believe is coming in at about 18.8 million-ish around there right now. That's the that's the projection we have right now. Devontae Adams, when I put him in the algorithm and I put him up against the four highest paid wide receivers in football right now, okay, he has... One, one and a half more targets per game, one and a half more receptions per game, 18 more yards per game, twice as many touchdowns per game, half the drops per game, 
and 1.5 more yards after catch per game than the average of the top four wide receivers in football in terms of money. He's just markedly better. He is percentage points better than everybody else in the league, statistically speaking, over the last two years. And that means five years, $133 million, $26.5 million per year. And to me, that's a baseline. That's a baseline. He's the real deal. And it's going to take that kind of number to keep him in Green Bay on, on a multi-year contract. So, you know, you're talking a, a less than $19 million franchise tag to keep him. That's obviously a no-brainer. Um, you know, does he hold out off that franchise tag and refuse to sign it because Aaron Rodgers is no longer the quarterback? That's the uh, soap opera that's ahead of us right now. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I'm reluctant to say left or right on this. I just think, you know, the, the, the bullet note I have here, and I have it for the quarterback too, Green Bay would simply just be foolish to let this guy go. This guy is 29 going on 30, or 28 going on 29, I should say. You guarantee him four years. He's that damn good, and he is flexible enough to make any offensive scheme that you've been able to throw out there work well. So to me, this is the step one in keeping Aaron Rodgers. Let's get it done. Big-time money for a big-time player. Trade candidate, Michael Thomas, once the big-time wide receiver in football. Now injuries have really derailed that. A relationship with the Saints seems to be crumbling. There's three years, $52 million left. Only $15.5 million is guaranteed for injury right now. It does lock in next March. He's injured right now. He's basically out for the whole season. Can he, can he clear that March physical? Or if he fails it, that 15 and a half now fully locks in in terms of injury guarantee. So there's some danger in that right now. Is there a buyer for this guy? You know, is there a team out there that says, look, if we can have this guy, even at 80% of what he used to be, it's worth it to us. If you're talking one for 15 and a half, you know, instead of three for 52, which is really, really what we're talking about when you look at the guarantees, that's fine. And I think somebody probably throws in, a halfway decent mid-round pick set to do that. But here's the problem. There's $22.7 million of dead cap, which means this is absolutely going to have to be a post-June 1st trade, in my opinion. It's, it only clear, clears $2 million to trade him from March to June. If you trade him after June 1st, they, the Saints free up $15.8 million, which, as you know, you know, it's... From March to July, clearing cap space is all the Saints are worrying about, quite frankly. So I have to imagine this is a late move, which is good because it'll give him more time to heal up and pass his physical and all that whatnot. Like I said, it's one year fully guaranteed. Will there be a buyer on June 2nd from Michael Thomas? My guess is yes. My guess is yes, which leads me to a fourth category for wide receivers, which is the offer sheet which I know is the unicorn out there these days. But the quarterback situation is a bit of a mess. They're going to have to get cheaper and younger in New Orleans one way or another. I think Deontay Harris is probably the best offer sheet candidate we've had in this league in a while. And I believe he gets a second round tender from the Saints, which is about $3.5 million. I don't believe anybody you know, will gawk at that too much. This guy is a legitimate pass catching weapon. He's, you know, you're right. You're running back out of the backfield, the jet sweeps, all that good stuff. And he's a legitimate return man. One of the best in the business at kicks and punts. 
those kind of guys are very, very hard to find, as you know. And there are teams looking to combine a WR3 with the return man and save a little cash. Contenders. I think contenders are looking to do this right now. And this guy's going to be available. And he's going to be 24 years old. And he's going to be sitting out there on a tender. And I do believe that there will be a team that says, look, the Saints cap situation is a mess because it always is in March. Can we front load a contract? Can we front load an offer that the Saints simply can't match? And take this guy in on a two-year guarantee, maybe a four-year contract, two years guaranteed, that satisfies the agent, that satisfies the player, and gives this guy more reps, more chances to shine. Now, look, the Saints are going to need a guy like this. So the Saints are not going to be willing to just let this guy go for nothing. There's no question about it. But I believe that you can swing big enough with an offer sheet that's, that the Saints simply can't do. I think it's possible with this team specifically. And it, it's a situation that teams can benefit from. Deontay Harris should be able to benefit from. And I think the Saints have to be privy to this because just slapping a tender on this guy and saying, welcome back, you're an incredible value for us yet again. I think they have to be aware that teams are looking and teams are aware of how good this guy is and the ceiling this guy possessions possesses with a lot of different skill sets. All right, tight ends. Let's finish it off. Free agent Dalton Schultz, Dallas Cowboys. I realize Jarwin got a contract, but believe it or not, that contract already has an out. He spent two years on the IR. It's got a pretty easy out. They can save $4.25 million in cap space by moving on from, from Blake Jarwin this year, which to me tees up a, an extension for Dalton Schultz tomorrow if they want to. I think he's been good enough. He's a top eight tight end according to PFF. We value him at a little over $12 million a year, close to $50 million over four years. Sounds good to me. The problem is this. you know, uh, The Cooper deal is getting funny. You're going to have to do Lamb soon. Gallup is up. The offensive line completely needs to be rebuilt and extended in some cases. It's getting There's a lot of mouths in this team to feed, and they've been continually feeding those mouths to keep this thing together. And look, this might not be a Super Bowl team again. So if Jerry's out in, in the second round this year again, is he just continually going to keep you know paying these current guys and hoping that at one year it all works out? Or do you have to at some point say, look, we got to start over at a bunch of different position points and see if we can start from scratch, get a little bit cheaper in some, some regard, you know, regards and, and go from there. If it's full steam ahead, let's go. I think Dalton Schultz at 25 years old at 12 million a year makes a ton of sense, but we shall see. Extension candidate. Mike Kosecki wasn't there a year ago. He's there now. And he and Tua have a real thing going. Uh, Tua needs these kind of guys, some consistency, some reliability. It's not going to break the bank because Kaseki has not had a rookie contract that many of us thought he was going to have. So I've got him valued at about $11 million right now, 4 for 44 It's also possible that they just slap a franchise tag on him and say, let's see this work one more year because we're evaluating our quarterback year to year right now, quite frankly. So one-year franchise tag probably makes sense. We'll see if that multi-year offer happens as well. And the trade candidate's going to be controversial. And not likely, by the way. I don't believe this is something that happens, but I never uh, take anything off the table from the Patriots. I think Johnny Smith could be dangled out there, uh, which is nuts because it means he would be have <laughs> been signed to a one-year $16.8 million contract for the Patriots. That's the cash payout that, that New England gave him this year. So, you know, it'd have to be a decent draft pick coming back to even have New England entertain this idea. But it's not a great free agent class. 
it's not a great draft class. So, you know, is this guy being suppressed in his role right now? Yes, because Hunter Henry is better. Is he valuable to the Patriots? Yes. Do the Patriots like having more than one tight end at, at, at any given time? Yes. So this is not likely. But if somebody calls and says, you know, here's a top 100 pick, I think it's very possible. I think it's very possible, especially post June 1st when there's a decent amount, you know, upwards of 8 million saved. I, I think it's very, very possible that New England at least takes that phone call and says, look, you know, he, he kind of lost the competition here. Hunter Henry is definitely the guy that we were going to go to on a consistent primary basis. And if somebody wants to try to make Janu their primary, Arizona, for instance, let's do it. So he's a fringe trade candidate for me at this point. All right, that's enough football for today. Let's talk some basketball with Scott Allen. Okay, Scott, we're ramping up to this Christmas weekend NBA uh, spectacular with lots of players injured and missing because of COVID, but that's for another conversation. Spurtico released their recent franchise valuations for the NBA, which is you know a nice time of year to do that because it's kind of a gift to the NBA that keeps on giving, quite frankly. This is a league that has been pushing forward year by year, month by month, even through the pandemic. I know you and I have kind of raved about just the creativity that this league has possessed with certain decision-making, certainly their marketing, even things all the way down to their, you know, their uh, league pass, which is something you can purchase basically by period at this point, right? By quarter. I mean, if you want to watch the fourth quarter of the Lakers Celtics game, you can purchase that kind of thing through the NBA. So all that's kind of impacting sponsorships. Certainly the gambling stuff has been a big part of this as well. And they've been at the forefront. Uh, where are we with just a year by year comparison? I mean, has it been, ha has the exponential growth of each individual franchise sort of correlated with the league itself? Yeah, for the most part, it definitely has. There's been some much higher gainers than others. I mean, there were a few franchises that had, 0% growth compared to last year. But then you have some other franchises that jumped uh, between 16 and 20% from the previous year's valuations. Do you, is there a glaring reason or is it just, you know, good times in certain places? Um, I think it's a combination of that and the type of players that are on the roster. So if we just dive into it, the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, they were the team that jumped 20% from last year, followed by the Atlanta Hawks at 19%. And then there's three teams at 16% of the Phoenix Suns, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Golden State Warriors. Okay, so a lot of them makes sense. So, so in other words, star power kind of drives these franchises. There, there's a lot of individuality with this stuff, huh? Yeah, definitely is. And, um, you know, having that marquee player that gets eyeballs which gets the teams on more national televised right. uh games and if they can get into the playoffs i mean look at phoenix they jumped 16 percent, and i don't think it's uh any uh, uh any reason other than they got deep into the playoffs they were uh, in the championship and that had to have had an effect on yeah. their jump and, and the sponsorships piled up with that. I mean, that's a big, big part of this. You know, I'm looking at sort of the top 10 year, you know, the Knicks are, they're just, I think they're always going to be there. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 6.12 billion is a hell of a lot. I mean, that's a hell of a lot for an NBA franchise. 
how does that compare to the top dogs in the other big sports here, Scott? I mean, if we, I guess we're talking Cowboys. I guess we're talking Yankees, right? Yeah, Cowboys were six point nine two billion, and the Yankees were six point seven five billion. And like you just said, the Knicks are at six point one two billion. So, um, it's not find those other other areas. Yeah, and, and that's not a winning franchise. I mean, correct. Small playoff run. Maybe I I don't have it in front of me. That's how many playoff runs has this team had in the past decade? Is it two? Really? I mean, this team has not been even competitive, and nor are they this year. So they're just kind of holding up the fort because of the city, because of the the Madison Square Garden scene, and the gate and the and the revenue they can drive through that, and cer- certainly the sponsorships, but and the TV network, of course. But um, you know what happens if that team starts to win some serious serious ball games late in June? Can they get up there with the Yankees and the, and the Cowboys? I say absolutely yes. Uh, I, I don't, oh, I, uh, with with the backing of this league, you put you put some championships in Madison Square Garden, and this entire league starts to rival the NFL, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely! Look at the Gold State Warriors. I mean, they're number two on this list, and if, if I mean, Sportico has only done this a couple of years, so yeah. uh, it's it's hard to compare using Forbes's versus Sportico, but. If I had to guess, Golden State wasn't in the top 10 up until the most recent years. So winning championships and having a marquee uh, player or players um, is yeah. is is a must. Right, because you think about it. I mean, Golden State's been on this winning run for a decade, <laughs> you know? And they still, what did they jump up, 16% from last year to this year? Yeah, 16%. Um, you know, in a down year where Steph had to carry him to, to an MVP candidacy it, run. And, you know, now they're the best team in the league, which means only good things for them in 2023, in my opinion. Right. And I think because Sportico does everything yeah. under the sun for valuations, that new arena coming online probably helped that 16% growth uh, tremendously. Well, you know what else helped? Chase, Adobe, Google, Pepsi, Oracle, massive partnerships. I mean, obviously they're they are located where you know all the big boys kind of sit in terms of the partnerships, but they are collecting major, major dollars from big time firms. So it's a it's a big win win situation for San Francisco right now, no question about it. And, and that is an example of a team 15 years ago that probably was in the middle of the pack and winning and star power. And like I said, location now with uh, the Silicon Valley situation blowing up around them has made for the best of both worlds. They're going to look, they're right behind these Knicks, Scott. I mean, they're what about a half a million. They're going to get there. If this team wins the championship, if clay comes back and adds to this, this whole aura, you know, for the second half of this season, I think they're going to eclipse the Knicks next year. That's really something to watch here because that's a big time takedown. I'm not sure we've seen Dallas or the Yankees be even close to rivaled in their respective sports. So that's something to think about for 2022 and 23. Can the Lakers and can Golden State catch up to this this Knicks team that, quite frankly, from a winning standpoint, doesn't deserve to be where they are right now, valued wise? Uh, anything else? I, I mean, I look at Houston. I think they're seventh, eighth. They're eighth right now. That's a sinking ship. No. Um, it, it, in the immediacy, yes, but in the long term, you know, they're trying to do their rebuild. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Um, I think what jumps out for me looking at this compared to the NFL and major league baseball is 
the the top three and then it's a massive drop whereas the nfl it's really tapered down you know it, it, it's a progressive decrease for the the valuations as you go down in the nba there's a huge drop off here down from number three to number four with the net so that that jumps out um i, I was kind of surprised to see some of the uh franchises that had zero percent growth that was pretty uh, a standout in some instances. Yeah, they are uh, who they are. <laughs> right, they are who they are. Like Oklahoma City only grew 1%. Not surprised by that because they've been tanking and taking on dead weight. But, you know, like the Detroit Pistons, they got the number one overall draft pick in Cunningham, but they only still grew 0%. They didn't grow at all. So, um even in a down year, you would have at least hoped to see that some of these franchises were going to grow a, a, a smidge, but there were a few that had uh, zero and one percent. So hmm. um, we'll see where that goes down the road. But I mean, the the league is healthy for sure as a uh, overall view. Yeah. So um, I, I think the most interesting um, for, that I saw was you know, the, the Clippers growing 20% and they're not even in their new arena yet. It's just starting to be it's built. It's just so a forecast, happens, right? It's just a forecast. But what happens when that actually comes online and we see all the tech widget stuff mm -hmm. uh, that goes into that? Where is their roster going to be? Is Kawhi going to still be there? So I, I think that is a team, even though they grew 20%, I think that's a team that has the potential to jump into that. Well, quite frankly, uh, right? We look at five. NFL for that. The Rams are now third and they jumped the Giants, the 49ers, you know, big time cities, big time organizations. I have to imagine a lot of that has to do with that stadium. Obviously, there's a lot of winning involved there, but uh, and some star power now. But, you know, that stadium, specifically speaking, and the brand of the Rams has has vaulted them to third. That's a big time deal. So I, I think you're right in assessing that the Clippers probably have three more spots, maybe even four more spots to go here on this list, assuming some things happen, right? Brooklyn may flatline a little bit here now that their new arena is sort of, sh you know, the shine is off a little bit and, and that team may not be as powerful as we want them to be either. I think Chicago's on the up and Chicago and the Clippers could be in similar conversations here soon. Boston's probably with the Nets, right? It's kind of flatlined a little bit, in my opinion. Not, not that that brand is going anywhere, but you know what I mean? Beyond the on the court stuff, maybe the, uh, the primetime television stuff, that's going to wane a little bit. And like I said, Houston and Toronto, who are next on this list, kind of rounding up, rounding up the top 10, there's a really good chance that they fall off here. And teams like Philly and Dallas jump them, which I think is very realistic. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Anything else NFL and MLB-wise? We haven't talked about these quite a bit. Um, and, you know, with Major League Baseball locked out now, and we saw a lot of teams, especially the top of this list, do some damage in November. Um. Do any of these teams in, on the baseball list for Sportico stand out? Is there something to discuss here? You know, the, there's the Chicago teams, the New York teams are obviously up there. Boston's second. The Giants and the Dodgers are top five. It's, it's exactly who you think it should be. Uh, I like to look at that next tier. So Anaheim being with the Mets makes sense to me. That's, you know, you're the second tier in your major city. <laughs> and that's where you belong. But how about Atlanta and the Cardinals being after them? And basically neck and neck with the Mets and the Angels. I mean, those are nice cities and big baseball towns. But a lot of things have to be going right. That new Atlanta stadium I've been to, that's got to be 
a big driving force because it brings in a lot of revenue just outside of the gate there. And St. Louis, is it just that they are such a rock solid baseball city that the funds, the sponsorships, the partnerships just continue to pour in? It's almost like a lifetime, right? Like a <laughs> lifetime agreement for us for a situation like that. Yeah, I think a lot of that goes into that uh, situation, knowing, um, you know, if you're projecting out 10 years, you're, you're expecting that team to not have, uh, you know, real high highs or real low lows. They're, they're going to always be that rock solid team. That's going to be in contention. They're, they're going to do what they need to. Like when they acquired Arenado, that they see the writing on the wall. We could potentially win this division. Let's go. Yeah. That's a powerful move for, for sponsorships and advertisers, right? I mean, that's basically saying, no, we're, we're not tanking. Even though a lot of franchises in our situation rip it all off, we, we're not doing that, and this is the reason why. So I think you're right, Scott. There's a there's a consistency model with them. Yeah, and, and if, if we compare to the conversation of what has been happening in the last two weeks in the NBA with the Indiana Pacers, they, they're, they're a similar conversation. They A bunch of guys that I've been listening to have been spitting out you know statistics with the Pacers and how – they don't like to tank. They haven't had a top 10 um, draft pick in like 30 years. Wow. And uh, th- th- they're just always that team that is consistently there. They're, they're in contention to some extent, but they'll they'll never just yeah. rip the bait off. They're to the go annual to the eight seed is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm not saying the Cardinals are the annual eight seed, but I think they're a more solid team. But they're they're franchises that you know they're okay to a certain extent with consistently winning with showing your sponsorship with showing your fan base that we're we're always going to do something to try to win and be in the uh playoff contention as opposed to ripping it off like the Oklahoma City Thunder or the Houston Rockets and going bare minimum to try to build back up it's fascinating. How about a 6% increase only for the bucks? Let's finish on that. What is that? Uh, what is that missing? Right? What, what, are the, what are the bucks missing that maybe, you know, bigger markets that win championships would have? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I saw that 6% and I was kind of surprised myself when I saw they were 6% versus Phoenix was 16 per, or yeah, 16%. Um, I, I would have thought that championship would have helped a little bit more. Um, so I, I I don't know how new the arena is compared to say Phoenix or, um, what other metrics are going into that, but I would have to assume that moving forward, you know, the bucks may jump more this year going into, um, because maybe the revenue and ticket sales will be up because they were a championship contender. Whereas maybe because the revenue that was being used was 2020 and through 2021 revenue, you know, perhaps the beginning to the middle of the season, the ticket sales and that kind of stuff weren't as much as they were going into, uh, the, into the postseason. I, I mean, this is just, I guess is on my end, yeah. but it'll be interesting to see over the next few years, if, that championship now is going to help project them up into higher a landscape in these valuations. Because if you look at who's a, above them, San Antonio Spurs, yeah. Sacramento Kings, 
the Portland Trailblazers, the Washington Wizards. Those are teams that haven't even sniffed a conference final nor a final in a, in a really long time. So yeah. you'd have to hope that the Bucks are going to jump up maybe four, five, six uh, spots in these valuations over the next coming years with Giannis being on there and Holiday and Middleton and a rock-solid core. Good stuff from you. Next time we'll talk to you, we'll be doing our year-end uh, review. Sounds good? Yes, absolutely. All right, man. All right, have a go. All right, my thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And please check out balancedbridge.com for all your future investment guarantees today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. <laughs>